and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Freelance photojournalist Amanda Andrade Rhodes was on assignment for the Washington Post, covering protesters as they marched toward the west side of the capital from the National Mall. The protesters, spurred on by a speech by President Donald Trump, aimed to disrupt the congressional certification of President-elect Joe Biden's victory. At approximately 2.45pm, Andrade Rhodes was photographing as the protest became a riot, with a pro-Trump crowd, some armed with clubs or other weapons, clashing with Capitol Police officers in front of the Capitol. Andrade Rhodes had covered previous pro-Trump demonstrations, where protesters were far less aggressive towards law enforcement. But this time, the rioters were fighting the officers and breaking apart barricades to hit the police with, and she had to put on her gas mask because things seemed to be getting very much worse. Her right leg was struck multiple times as she photographed the Capitol Police and rioters scuffling over a barrier. She believed that she was hit by rubber bullets based on the rounds she saw on the ground around her after she was struck. Andrade Rhodes was wearing a press credential issued by the Post and the word press was written on a piece of painter's tape stuck to her gas mask. But when she was hit, law enforcement officers were overwhelmed by the number of violent rioters and were fighting back indiscriminately. She retreated from the violence briefly, then returned to photographing as the rioters climbed up scaffolding and stormed the Capitol. About two days after the incident, her wounds were still swollen and tender to the touch. Over the course of the afternoon, multiple rioters threatened to kill her, and she was caught in pepper spray fired indiscriminately by police. I'd now like to read a personal testimony. I could hear protesters on the first floor of the Senate side of the Capitol, so I went downstairs following the noise. They came up to the Ohio Clock Corridor, just outside the chamber where senators were meeting, and were yelling that they wanted to get in. I was shocked they'd made it inside, and thought this would be the big moment of the day. A small group of protesters having breached the Capitol building. I was wrong. I looked down the hall to the rotunda, and saw what looked like a hundred people running around, yelling, and pulling around a podium. I took a bunch of photos and then went to the ceremonial doors to the rotunda where a single police officer guarded the door against a throng of hundreds outside. The mob massed together and rushed the officer, forcing open the door and people flooded in. I ran upstairs to be out of the way of the crowd and to get a better vantage point to document what was happening. Suddenly, two or three men in black surrounded me and demanded to know who I worked for. Grabbing my press pass, they saw that my ID said the New York Times, and they became really angry. They threw me to the floor, trying to take my cameras. I started screaming for help as loudly as I could. No one came. People just watched. At this point, I thought I could be killed, and no one would stop them. They ripped one of my cameras away from me, broke a lens on the other, and ran away. After that, I was hyperventilating, unsure what to do. I knew I needed to get away from the mob and hide my broken camera so I wouldn't be targeted again. I ran into Speaker Nancy Pelosi's suite, but people were vandalising her office, so I kept moving. 
Walking out to her balcony facing west toward the National Mall, I saw a mass of people covering the inaugural stage. I found a spot to hide my camera in there, then stood watching the crowd from the balcony and filming from my phone, which was all I had left. This will be the start of a civil war revolution, a man next to me said. At that point, the Capitol Police had started deploying pepper spray or tear gas, and I knew I needed to find a place to hide. I didn't know where I could go since I no longer had my congressional credentials. I ran to the third floor, opened the first door I saw and hid in a hallway. I called my husband, who told me to stay calm and find a safer spot. But then the police found me. I told them that I was a photojournalist and that my pass had been stolen, but they didn't believe me. They drew their guns, pointed to them and yelled at me to get down on my hands and knees. As I lay on the ground, two other photojournalists came into the hall and started shouting, She's a journalist! The officers told us it wasn't safe to leave and helped us find a room to barricade ourselves in. The two other photographers grabbed my hands and told me it would be okay and to stay with them so they could vouch for me. I'll never forget their kindness in that moment. That was a personal testimony from Erin Schaff, star photographer with the New York Times. When I decided on what this podcast was going to be called, I decided that the word life would be just as important as the word photographic. And I think both of those descriptions of what happened to female photographers during the recent storming of the Capitol kind of vouches for that. Following on from those testimonies and stories, New York Magazine's Pulitzer Prize-winning art critic Jerry Souts said this, The riot at the Capitol wasn't America's first rendezvous with destiny in this century. The other, of course, was September the 11th, 2001. Both events gave us something tragic and unimagined, unfolding in the span of only a few hours and watched in real time around the world. But the images and events of January the 6th are, once again, not the same. The images of the fallen towers were abstract. Death was seen in the absence of bodies, the missing buildings. We saw only smoke, fire, ash, a ruined skyline. This abstraction made it possible for authorities to interpret those photos any way they wanted and then pin the blame elsewhere, starting what has now been nearly 20 years of war. The pictures from September the 11th seem to show annihilation, an evading force from outside, an anarchic force slamming into modern politics. In these new pictures, that demonic force is us. In the year that I was born, 1964, media theorist Marshall McLuhan argued that a medium does not act as an innocent conduit to information. Rather, a medium changes how we receive information until we are overly shaped by the rhythms of the medium itself. It's no secret that social media algorithms have reframed how we think, how we see and how we communicate and interact and how we conduct ourselves online. Platforms like Facebook and Twitter have nurtured an environment where more extreme and partisan content is elevated and travels further. 
Many of the riots in the capital last week saw an opportunity for meme-making, image-making and film-making to make people feel good about themselves and, I think, look good. But that's what they think. On these platforms where these images were shared and reshared as evidence of victory, the figures with the big followings amassed a bigger audience. We were there, they will say, just as I discussed last week in this podcast. However, these images and the evidence they provide will not give them more power, but will see them arrested and charged. They had become publishers without any understanding of what that means. Twitter, Facebook, etc. have now had to accept that responsibility that they are publishing companies and that we are not, in fact, all today photographers, but we are, in fact, all publishers. This week, we welcome to the podcast explaining what photography means to him, photographer, senior lecturer and former illustrator Jasper Goodall who came into the public eye through his illustration work in the early 2000s. Best known for his editorials in The Face magazine and his creation of ethereal imagery for the English rock band Muse, he was widely published and much referenced. In 2014, he left the world of commercial illustration and spent several years training as a counsellor at the Psychosynthesis Trust in London. This hiatus provided Goodall opportunity to take stock and reimagine his creative output in a new and very different form. Exploring the landscape at night, Goodall's nocturnal series Twilight's Path has been described as being at once beautiful and terrifying. In addition to his photographic practice, Goodall teaches creativity and visual communication and he is a senior lecturer at the University of Brighton in uh, West Sussex, East Sussex actually, I should know, I lived in Brighton for long enough, where he has taught visual communicators for almost 20 years. Um, the first thought that kind of comes up is, first word that comes up is connection. And... Um, think I relate that to the idea that um, I feel as most humans do like a kind of separate entity walking around relating to an external world and I think we go around suffering in a state of feeling uh, uh, separate and um, actually I think you know for me there is something about um, trying in some way when I take a photograph it's an attempt to um, connect with something that I feel separate from I suppose in a, as an example when, when I went to the Sierra Nevada mountains in California I remember telling my wife um, I remember feeling almost panicked because I felt like I couldn't open my eyes wide enough uh, it was almost like I was wanted to try and consume the environment that I was looking at and the things that I was seeing and um, felt like that that environment encapsulated wild, raw, majestic nature so powerfully, um, and I and it created such a longing in me to feel like I desperately wanted to be connected or a part of that. Um, and because I still had this sense of being a, a separate entity, only able to look on at this amazing place, um, taking a photograph was a kind of pale version of perhaps the experience a wild animal would have where it was just an integrated part of that environment. 
the best I could do was to take a photograph. So I think it has to do with a feeling of reverence is also something that comes up for me. Um, I remember, I, I can't remember who it was. I've looked for it and looked for it and I can't find this quote. It, it was a photographer who said that um, taking photographs was about being in love with the world. And I really related to that. It For me, it, my photographs are a kind of articulation of love or reverence or I think I'll go with love particularly I'm talking about the natural world the wonder of why a tree grows in the shape it does you know I want to try and be involved with that in some way and taking a photograph gets me a little bit closer I suppose to that then there's something about how for me the kind of photography I enjoy both looking at and taking is um, probably much more to do with how the photographer feels or what kind of narrative the photographer wants to create um, than it would be about documenting anything. Um, I think that there are very different fields in photography, some of which involve truth and reality and the value of which is about the story of um, the situation that is being presented. But the photography I find myself responding to is pro- probably closer to painting, um, where the photographer is using the camera as a way of trying to convey some kind of emotion or perhaps just playing with fo- forms, but using the camera as a way of, instead of a paintbrush. I think I look for places that resonate with my internal world, my internal narratives, my emotions, and those are the places I'm drawn to and the places I look for to photograph or go to to take photographs um, or a kind of approximation of, of something that's sort of roiling around in my head somewhere. And I do think it's possible that something of what the photographer is feeling at the time can sort of magically be captured as well as the light that was there and and somehow conveyed. And so I hope that the feeling I have when it's dark and all the humans have gone home and I'm in a wood or outside on a mall or something and um, there's just owls and deer and there's a really powerful atmosphere there that I hope is translated somehow in the photographs. Thank you, Jasper, for your contribution this week. It's been a slightly different episode, hasn't it? Perhaps a little intense. But uh, I think Jasper there kind of perhaps calmed down some of my uh, anger and my passion and my uh, intensity at the beginning of this podcast. But, you know, life is important to photography. And what I wanted to illustrate at the beginning of this episode was just how photography's importance has not in any way waned or weakened. Sure, the moving image, the live streaming and so forth, those are key elements now to every photographer and to every filmmaker. But the message and the story of what happened in the last week and also what's been happening with the terrible situation with COVID numbers and children not being fed correctly with their 
their meals when they can't afford them. All of that has relied on the idea of sharing on social media and communication through these online platforms, but also the photographic image as evidence, evidence that something happened. Now, it's interesting to hear Jasper there talking about connecting and connectivity. And I think in a way, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Not only that connectivity or that connection with in the process of making the image with the, the subject matter, with the person who's being photographed or the place, whatever it may be, the experience, that connection that the photographer makes in the moment but also that shared connection that that image then takes on its own life and then lives through books and exhibitions and online and so forth. So all of that to me, very interesting. As always, I hadn't listened to Jasper's um, contribution before. You did. We all heard it at the same time. But these things always seem to connect. I think also what we're talking about here, which is following on from last week, I suppose in a way what I would suggest is if you've enjoyed some of the points we've raised this week, jump back to last week, because this podcast is an ongoing evolution of not only, I suppose, a reflection on what's going on on photographic life, but also my personal understanding of what was going on. Last week, I mentioned about the fact of everybody at that Capitol building riot with their phones in the air and what were they doing they were trying to give that evidence now of course we know that that evidence is damning and that evidence is actually going to be the evidence in court so photography hugely important and as i say the photographic life there is a reason why those two words come together in the title of this particular podcast I hope you don't mind if you're based somewhere other than in the United States, that this has been such an American-centric um, episode. But these are historic times, aren't they, in so many different ways. And I felt that it was important to mark that. It won't be like this every week. It won't be quite so political. But again, last week I was talking about being on the front line. And those testimonies and those stories about two, and I think it's important to say female photojournalists out there, you know, these weren't macho guys trying to kind of relive uh, an, an ideal of what the war photographer is. No, these were two female photographers trying to tell stories and share experiences with us. And the way in which they were treated is so horrific. They were on the front line. And I guess in a way, due to COVID, we're all on the front line in one way or another. So, leaves me at the end of this particularly, I think, passionate uh, episode to just suggest that you take care. Mm -hmm.